5: Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. In partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
3: Uh,
6: It's it's happened, could hear. Robert Evans. The podcast that is now begun. Um, this is a show about how things are falling apart, and occasionally how to how to maybe deal with that, maybe try to steer things in a better direction. We talk about a bunch of stuff today. We're going to be talking about more supply line um, um, stuff, and and in order to kind of introduce this episode, uh, we wanted to bring in Alexis, who posted a a thread on Twitter um about some of their experiences in the industry in which they work that that we all found very interesting and so we just wanted to bring alexis on and uh and and first off have you kind of go over what what you went over in that thread and then um kind of z- zero in and talk about that so alexis welcome to the show hi thanks for having me um yeah uh, I, i'm gonna let you take it from here and then we'll we'll drill in once you once you get through your your piece All right, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the thread that I
1: posted, and then, yeah, we'll go from there. Uh, So, labor shortage discourse time. I work for a food manufacturing company, specifically bottling and canning various beverages, and we are desperately understaffed. The wages are competitive, but they can't keep anyone on after they hire them. Why? Because we're short on people. As soon as someone is trained, they start throwing massive amounts of mandatory overtime on them to try and cover the missing pieces while they look for more people to hire in folks get burned out and quit. And this is where my hate of just-in-time manufacturing comes in. Now, obviously in food manufacturing, you can't just stock a warehouse with stuff and let it sit for a year, but you can keep a couple of weeks of stock rotating at all times if you devote the warehouse space, employees, et cetera, to doing so. This would give you some flex time to train your new people without having to run everyone into the dirt. So even with a place that is offering decent money and benefits, because this is a union shop, We can't keep people because we're making a conscious decision to only ever have one to two days of stock on hand to increase profits. Meanwhile, thanks to lean manufacturing, we don't keep a ton of spare parts for our equipment on hand. Thanks to the supply chain disruption, we've got packaging equipment that's been waiting on replacement parts for six months, which further fucks our productivity due to downtime. Which makes the company schedule even more overtime to try and make up for the lost cases from equipment downtime, which burns out more employees, which puts us in an even deeper labor hole. I've been warning about just-in-time being a time bomb in the making for over a decade now. When it works perfectly, you're fine. A single interruption causes cascade effects, and since everyone has been doing the just-in-time thing, there's zero slack anywhere in the system. Grocery stores don't have any extra soda in the back. They get behind. Demand builds up. Distribution doesn't have any pallets in the warehouse. Ha, what warehouse? So they can't answer the surge in demand from grocery stores. Manufacturing doesn't have spare parts for aging equipment, so we can't boost production. Spare parts makers don't have stock buildup. So on and on it goes. The actual proximate cause of this is deregulation of capitalism that has incentivized quarterly profits and made long-term thinking anathema to CEOs. But sure, conservatives blame California for not letting old trucks offload at the ports. That's it. And that's that's the essence of my thread. I then plug my podcast at
6: the end. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to, I'm curious as to kind of like, uh... To what it, like, I'm trying to understand, like what the solution is, like we've talked a bit about, OK, just in time manufacturing is is problematic for a lot of reasons. Um, keeping more like on the shelves is going to allow you to avoid these crunches and is going to like make supply line issues like the ones we've been experiencing since the start of the covid pandemic less severe and less common. Um, but how do you actually how do you actually make that happen? Because I, I guess the traditional free market thing is that like, well, because this has been such a problem for companies, um, you know, they'll naturally change the system in order to avoid this in the future. I don't feel like that's likely to happen.
3: Um,
6: no. And I, I'm wondering, like, what do we uh, what, what, what do you think is the, the way forward here? Well, because some of the
1: problem is is right now, like mo- most companies, you will pay taxes on stuff that you have stored in a warehouse, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so no company is going to voluntarily lower their profit margins if the other companies don't do it themselves uh, as well. So really, there's going to have to be some sort of forcing of companies to uh, have that on hand. And I don't see just being able to write a law that says, oh, well, you're required to have this much backstock on hand as, as being a, a functional way to work. And really, as I'm sure, you know, Robert, I know you're well aware, the, the capitalism itself is kind of the problem. But as far as I, I guess a, a, a solution to this sort of thing um, you would have to disincentivize the quarterly profits above all in order to force companies back into long-term thinking. Now, from a purely like mechanical standpoint, um, I guess if you, if you did something to incentivize companies having back stock or flex stock on on hand, that might help. But um I mean, I'm just I'm just a cog in the machine getting ground up. So as far as like big solutions, that's I mean, I've been looking at it ever since I worked in a freaking casket factory and we started doing just in time there. And just every time that I've been in a place, a manufacturing place and seen it happen, I'm just like, oh, this is going to go wrong because you can't you can do just in time if all of your suppliers are local. But having it stretched across a global supply chain, it just
6: it's inevitably going to
1: collapse in on itself i'm I'm sorry
6: that I'm not more helpful. No, that. no, but I mean this is this is like the problem because there's a lot of reasons why the supply chain is global. Some of them are like labor related reasons. some of them are cost cutting. Some of them are just like pure pragmatism. um but it's trying to like I, I I don't I feel like it's it's one thing to say like, well, part of the problem is that like all of these different pieces come from different countries. um and there's a number of shady reasons for aspects of that. Um, but it makes for greater problems when there's a supply land shortage, and then like, okay, well, what are we, what are we gonna, are are you suggesting that we make everything domestically? Because I I don't feel like that's a realistic solution.
1: I, um, yeah, no.
6: <laughs> yeah, and it like it's just it's I, I'm trying to get a handle on. There's a couple of angles on this. There's there's what we think is going to happen, um, and then there's the question of like, is there a way that the system as it exists could make this whole thing less vulnerable and in so, a lot of ways that's going to be separate from the question of what would be better for everyone to happen because a lot of what would be better for everyone to happen is a wide a significant chunk of these things that we have constantly stocked on the shelves are no longer parts of our life right um right. there's a lot of things that are made that we do not need and that are there's an environmental cost and a sh- social cost and yada, yada yada um but i i guess first, I'm kind of curious to drilling in, like, how realistic do you think it is that the system as it exists is going to, like, mitigate this and come up with better ways to to do this that render us less vulnerable to these supply crunches? Like, is there I, I don't see a great financial incentive in it for them yet because um, they they don't seem to be hurting. Right. Like, well, that's that's the thing.
1: Well, actually, and and again, please keep in mind, this is limited anecdotal evidence. Yeah. But- Cause it's going to be um, different. Like
6: John Deere, I know was making record profits before all the, this union stuff, uh, happened, but like, that's not everyone. Right. Yeah. So, so
1: again, I work for a soda manufacturer. So every time you're in, invo- you know, enjoying your, your schmepsi schmola or your, or your Schmago, whatever, yeah. uh, whatever, I'm, I'm not going to explain which company I work for. Cause I don't want to get in trouble. Um, and we're we're actually a captive bottler, which means yeah. that it's a separate company, but we work for the, the big soda corporation. I think that in certain instances, those things will change because, for example, just last week, we had one of our four lines go down. So 25% of our production capacity went down because we had a motor burnout on the rollers that would move a full pallet out to be picked up by a forklift. Mm-hmm. And there was no replacement motor in stock. And so we had, I think, 48 hours of downtime on this. Now, all the way up at the top, the company executives, you know, we're one of 30 some plants. They don't care about why it was down, just that it was down. So in our position here, um, the people a little higher up the food chain than me are insisting like, hey, we've been after you guys for months that we need spares like this. And I think that as that sort of stuff happens, as it cuts into potential future profits you know it's not dropping their profits but it's keeping them from being even higher maybe yeah. certain, certain companies are going to be like okay maybe we do need a couple more spares on the shelves as far as on the production side of it i don't see that happening i think yeah. we're still going to be shipping out pallets of you know pallets of corn syrup in infected uh carbonated water as fast as we can make them uh, which you and you were talking about the environmental cost, like you do not want to know how much water it takes to make a single liter of soda. You really don't. Yeah. Um, but on this, on the production, like input side, I think that companies are going to start stocking spare parts because it has been, and I still have friends who work for other companies that I used to work for. It has been all throughout the system, and I, I live in the Midwest. Every company is going through this where they're having huge amounts of downtime because they things as small as a gasket or an O-ring are not on the shelf. And they're yeah. finally companies are finally going to listen to what their maintenance people have been screaming at them that we can't just stagger along and then, oh, well, it's next day delivery. Yeah, and then you freak out that this line was down for 24 hours. Now that it's not even next day delivery, it's next week delivery, I think that side of it they're going to probably try and fix. But the other side, shipping to the consumer, I yeah. really don't see that they're going to change that.
6: Yeah, I mean that makes that makes sense. And it, we, I, we are, it, you are kind of led thinking about this inevitably to like two conclusions. One of them is that I have my, I'm, I'm sure parts of this the the system will adapt as it already has been, in fact, which is why like you haven't seen toilet paper run out as bad as it did at the start of the pandemic again, right? There is a degree to which the system is capable of adjustment. But kind of in a larger sense, um, uh, this is uh, – number one, I, I'm kind of left with the feeling that because of the way this system was set up the, and the fact that it was disrupted so severely, it's kind of impossible to get 100% back on track, especially considering the disruptions are going to continue, not just waves of COVID, but you know, in natural disasters and whatnot, shortages of, of things like uh, truck drivers – like these different little hits are going to keep coming. And I I just don't know that we're ever going to like catch up everywhere enough that like shortages of some sort aren't an aspect of our lives kind of forever. And this is one of those things that if you've spent a lot of time outside of the United States, that's something a lot of people have been dealing with for years. It's just not something Americans are used to dealing with. And I think I kind of feel like that's just where it is now. Like I don't feel like every aspect of our our production and consumption system is going to get back where to where it was February of 2020. I think maybe that's never happening again.
1: No, absolutely it will not ever happen mm-hmm.
6: again. You were saying earlier that,
1: you know, there's some practical reasons for the global supply chain. Like one of the things that we've had such hard time getting in is any of our concentrates that contain real vanilla Obviously,
6: right. We can't grow vanilla in the United States. Yeah, that's the thing you have to. I mean, there, that's part of why colonialism exists, right? Is mm-hmm. You need to go get vanilla. Yeah. So
1: yeah, so like there are certain things that are going to be stay yeah. have to stay global if we're going to continue to make the things that we make, mm-hmm. and just from my side of it, being able to see oh, well, why can't we get this concentrate in? Oh, because it has vanilla as an ingredient and there's been a bunch of droughts and shit. And so vanilla is in a crunch, you know, that sort Mm -hmm. of thing. So I just, um, you're right in that. Yeah, we're going to have shortages. There's it's, you know, and it's not just the mechanical side on ours. It's like, we can't get cans in. We can't get concentrate in. We can't, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that we can't get in is going to slow us down and demand will build up. I did have somebody in that thread respond and say, I don't see how demand for soda will build up. And I'm like, now I have a friend who's like a diet Dr. Pepper fiend. And as soon as diet Dr. Pepper shows up now, she buys like eight packs. Demand mm-hmm. will absolutely build up for stuff. When people feel like they're being deprived of something, yep. they, when it becomes available, they are going to hoard it as best they can.
6: Yeah. And that's, again, with soda. Just kind of an annoyance, although that can, because individual people can react in extreme ways, can uh, snowball. I'm not Mm going to be surprised if one of these days we have somebody shoot up a fucking grocery store because their whatever was out. Um, But that's also not a necessity. And I I think that, like, the the concern is that. Especially when you you look at stuff like you know, there's a couple of states that had like their wheat harvest and corn harvest that were like half or less than half of normal. In big chunks of Iraq, it was like down by I think like seventy or eighty percent. Um, like these massive sh- shortages of of growing basic foodstuffs, um, and that's all that's all tied into this. Like it's not the same business that you're on, but it's all tied into aspects of this. And it's all tied into like a lot of our ability to get that food out of the field is reliant upon different kinds of mechanical harvesting equipment. The materials to which to like fix and replace it are often like caught up in this whole just in time problem because they don't make enough of them. And sometimes they don't have them in stores. And then there's like a strike at John Deere and so more aren't getting made. And so there's not what you need to repair the equipment in time to get stuff out of the field everywhere. And in a year when you already have a reduction of harvests, like that cuts down on it further. Um, like I, I think – I don't know. It, it's it's this – there's always a couple of things to look at, which is like number one, as we've talked about, like how is the system uh, going to try to handle this? What ways are they going to be successful? What ways are they going to fail? What things are you going to have to endure? And what things – I think what I want to talk about next is like what things do we need to change uh, <laughs> in order to like – as communities be more resilient to this stuff, which, you know, has less to do with soda, which again is not a necessity, but more to do with figuring out how to anticipate and endure supply line disruptions.
1: Right. Absolutely. And, and while I'm currently in soda, I have been in everything from automotive to, I think, as I mentioned before, casket Mm -hmm. manufacture. So, Mm -hmm. you know, but I can go
6: through a casket a week, you know,
1: (laughs) Especially when you're driving your uh, your, your well, yeah. When I'm drunk through, driving in a oh boy, you know, right right through a trailer park. I mean, your you're, I mean, your casket order has got to be through the roof. Uh,
6: it is. It is a lot. A lot of people.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, no I, I I do actually wonder how <laughs> fuck. Um. I mean, like I I do actually wonder how much like the casket industry and stuff like that has been affected by the by like by the pandemic with the mm-hmm. you know an influx of dead people. And how that's how how that's affected things. That, that's something I've been wondering about, but I've not actually spent time well, looking into.
1: I can't speak to the pandemic specifically. I quit I quit the casket industry in two thousand and eight, but I do recall my boss, uh, the owner. At the time, being very, very upset that Hurricane Katrina had a lower death toll than he anticipated because that's oh, really he had overordered really, yeah, over the sheet metal to make the caskets. And uh-huh. he was very pissed off about having all that extra stock because they were that's trying to incredible. transfer to, to just in time
2: society.
1: Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's
6: good to hear. Yeah. Great. Yeah.
1: He, he was in a bad mood for like a month after <laughs> Katrina because oh, God. Uh, it hadn't reached his expectations.
6: well, sure, that's a real problem for for him you know, absolutely. <laughs> no, no that, he's got that's all the sympathy critical support
1: I mean to the ghoul that, <laughs> that, was, that job was grim. I'm just gonna say that that yeah. it sounds
6: like it i I have a through a through a, a loved one a connection to somebody who is like works for a company that makes body bags. And 2020 was amazing for them. They did incredible in 2020. Um, I didn't hear any ghoulish stories. It's just like, yeah, of course you guys made a bunch of extra money. Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like that was great for you.
2: (laughs) Putting in in a mental note to... Go through a bunch of the campaign contributions of people who make body bags and check if they're supporting anti-mask yes. candidates.
6: Yeah, see if big Corpse got into this at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, the thing to the thing to do is, you know, I'm I'm not a big fan of the stock market in general. But next time, the, next time there, there's a pandemic, find out which companies make body bags on the stock market and invest in those as soon as, as soon as the pandemic starts.
6: I mean, I can tell you what I'm I'm putting money into big Corpse as soon as uh as soon as the next pandemic hits. That's absolutely going to happen. <laughs>
1: oh boy Uh, all right yeah that's grim yeah i think it's fine uh, there's a reason why after after i started working there i immediately uh told my husband hey uh make sure if i die before you i'm cremated so yes yes (laughs) i don't want to give these monsters any of my money
0: what what i'm looking into is just full full body stuffing that people can pose me around but that's a separate topic um
6: (laughs) yeah you talk about that a lot garrison
0: What I did want to mention is like actually um, when you were talking about how they hire in a lot of employees and they make them work horrible hours and then they, you know, they quit. And this is kind of a constant kind of process. And like this isn't exclusive to that industry at all. I think one of the worst offenders of this is actually the Postal Service. Um, I like think the Postal Service has like the lowest employee satisfaction out of any shipping company. Um, wow. And like my, my, my father worked for the Postal Service for a bit. And w- when you first join up – you join as like a you, you join as a on like a non career employee path and then you can get promoted to a career employee path after a few years. But the turnaround for the non career employee paths is massive. Like local branches can say up to like ninety percent of people who start working at the postal service will end up quitting within the year. Now that number can be different based on like nationally and for based on like, you know, based on what state you're in. But but across the board it, it's always around at least fifty percent for um employee turnaround for people who join up the postal service on these um like ci- uh, city carrier assistant positions. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah, because because w- when you when you're a non-career employee path, you have to work 7 days a week and you can be called in to work basically anytime, usually working around 10 to 12 hour days. All of the career employees, so all of like wow, it right, sounds all, like what I put you the, guys through. Eh. But like all of all, all of like all of like the regular carriers get to work like their specific route. And that's it. That's their whole day for yeah. the for the people who are new to the job. They're forced to work tons of routes, um, fill in whenever someone else can't. And uh, we constantly be doing overtime um, and working like basically non non-sto- nonstop with only like two like only two holidays off a year or something. It's, it's pretty intense, um, which is why, you know when the postal service comes have problems and because and, and because there's so fe- there's generally not tons of employees i mean like there is lots like comparatively like like the like the postal service is one of the bigger employers in in, in the whole country but the, for people when 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 employees drop off filling those positions can be really hard in times of like crisis so like you know last year when there was all these problems with the postal service all of these kind of issues around the supply chain and around how people treat their workers—all of them, like, like you know, compound to create one like much bigger problem, which we saw last year with the postal service and like late in like the late summer. Um, so I just find it interesting how it's like you know these same issues around like how we treat workers is adding on to this problem of like supply chains and getting stuff delivered and all this kind of stuff.
1: And so what what I find interesting there is so you're you know we're talking about the the uh, employee issue and yeah it churned. So I've been uh the plant I was working in which is 20 minutes from my house closed down and now I'm working uh 90 miles away literally an hour and 45 Jesus minutes Christ.
6: drive. Away. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jesus H um, Christ.
1: I am I am working four 12s a week and I'm crashing at my parents' house which they live about 60 miles away so it's a little bit better. Um but also that my still parents still sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents are hard right evangelicals who do not agree with uh you know
6: Oof. this.
1: So <laughs> that's fun. But um, the plant that I was in was a non-union plant, and the one I'm in now is a union plant. And one of the things that I've noticed that's actually kind of different is for once in the non-union plant, things were actually better because what we could do, what, what, what could be done is, all right, we're all working seven days a week. We have enough staffing that if nobody calls in, we have one spare person who normally goes around and gives breaks and stuff like that well, we could, you know, basically all take turns taking a day off during that seven day week at the union plant that I'm at now though, it's all seniority based. So anytime that they force overtime, they go from the the bottom of the seniority list on up. Yeah. So oh, yeah. The people, the people who are being forced into those, which I described in the thread, I think, uh, it was, it was split off in the thread, but, uh, the, the, the people who were being forced to stay over four hours and then yeah. come in four hours early where you, oh, you were working six to two. Now you're working, you know, six to six. And then you're coming in at two in the morning instead of six in the morning the next day are always the people who are the lowest on the seniority list, which is why- the same,
0: same thing with the Postal Service. Yeah.
6: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's exactly. not. It, it, there's a number of different. I mean, I've heard that complaint from a couple of different union gigs, um and it's yeah, it's a problem. Yeah,
1: and it's that's why we get these new people, and they get trained up, and now they're trained and and they're signed off, and then they immediately go from because when you're training, you're not, you can't train on overtime or whatever. Yeah. But yeah. now it's oh okay, well now you're working every weekend, you're being forced over, you're being forced in early, just nonstop, and so yeah, they get trained for a month. And then a month after that, they quit because they went from working a relatively a re- sane yeah. amount yeah. to <laughs> an
0: absurd amount. Yeah, hours
1: a week. We went 58 days at one point without a day off. Yeah, like, oh
0: my, my god. My, yeah. my dad went like almost I think like 300 days without with without a day off when he started the postal service. A kind of funny thing is like when you hear the postal service talking about this like from the, in their own reports and on their own website what they find a problem with is not not the turnaround in and of itself, but how they're basically wasting money on trainings for, for people that don't mm-hmm. end up working. So like that is their main concern, is that they're spending all this money on like training for people that don't s- stick around often. Um, and I'm like, yeah, well, I, maybe you should address why they don't stick around often. That's, that seems to be kind of the actual issue here. Yeah.
1: And, and what I've been pushing for, and I know this is more on the labor side than on the, on the supply chain side that we were focusing on, I've been pushing for instead of three shifts where we keep just getting just hammered with this stuff. I want us to do four shifts, 12 hour days and do like a two on, two off, three on, three off type swing shift where you have like one shift that works, you know, you work three days, one week, four days, the next week, and you work 12 hour days, but really you wind up getting a bunch of days off, you know, like that's if you're going to work seven days a week, that's the best way to do it, in my opinion. Yeah, but, I mean, like you know, it's there's a lot of resistance to well, will well, then we have to hire these extra people? Well, yeah. you're hiring those people anyway, and then they're quitting. I mean, like <laughs> you're it, it, not it, even getting your value out of them, slave drivers. I mean, like it, you said, this is
0: more this is more on the labor side than the supply chain side. But honestly, these are these are like the same side, right? Because yeah. if you don't have employees, like this is you know this is a fundamental you know thing and like how capitalism works, right? You need to have you know workers to make there have be any value at all, right? So if there's if there isn't any people to working then there is no supply chain it's gone because we need people to do it both on like the production side and both in like the transportation side that's like you know UPS uh, USPS you know FedEx you know so like the mail carriers and stuff is very important to all of this because you 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 need in order for, for there to be a supply chain there needs to be the, the the chain part right where you carry it from one place to to another so it's both it's both on the production side and on like the transportation side for and- how all these problems you know Yeah, And one
1: one of the things that I, in the replies to my thread, which I got into, was that um, part of the the only slack in -in just-in-time manufacturing is the employees. They've pulled all of the slack out of the system on the mechanical side and on the production side of it, on all the physical side. The only slack left is people, and they have stretched us all to the absolute breaking point. Now, I'm lucky, relatively speaking, in that I'm salary, so, like, I'm more on the inventory side of things, so I'm not doing the hourly production seven-day-a-week thing. Like I said, I work 412s, but I can still, you know, and that's this job, every other previous job, not the same thing, but I can still see where they've taken out, like, once again, we used to have spares on the shelf so that when something broke down, we could fix the machine and keep running. Now, instead of the spare, the spare is people working weekends. That's the spare part. And that now. makes
6: total sense, right? You're you're the capitalist. A better a spare that is an, a part on the shelf costs you money in terms of like you need to have that space. That's extra rent you're paying. You need to have bought that part. Having your people just kill themselves is much cheaper. <laughs>
4: A smart
3: TV built by the streaming pros. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with WatsonX Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create.
5: Baseball fans,
2: sort of misuse of Marx here right Where like one of Marx's things is like okay well you know you, you have you have this increased machinery you have this increased machinery but that means you're producing less value because you know you've, you've put more people out of work well it's like okay well what if what if we just we re-extend the workday again and sort of you know reverse all of the gains that have been happening well okay I say have not happening reverse all the gains that happened between about 1930 and like 1970 and just oh well what if we just make everyone work 12 hour days again and that that was you know one of those the thing that I, that struck me both listening to this and reading the thread was that it's it's not even just wages it's just it's 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 a, it's just the fundamental power imbalance, and then it's a fundamental power imbalance that's gotten so bad that even like you know the 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 the, the like sometimes the remains of the union system it's like it's not even you know like the the unions like. In, in this particular case, like this, it's, they're not even. It's not even really helping. It's just creating like a, you have a small labor aristocracy, that then you have everyone else getting just like ground down.
1: In this case, and it's that we've got a, we've got a small core of people who've been there twenty or thirty years. Yeah, and and whereas before, maybe even ten years ago, they might have viewed the union as a vehicle to help everybody. Things have gotten so bad that now it's just okay. I'm going to use this system as much as I can to cover my own ass. Because things have gotten so damn bad. And obviously, you know, Reagan destroying the unions and stuff like yeah. that help with that. But yeah, it's. The, I And I feel like the union in, in my job could be very helpful. Yeah. Um, But yep. it would require certain people in it to instead of looking out for just their own interest because, hey, I've been here 25 years, so I'm in the clear. <laughs> like, actually go, okay, Maybe I should, you know, sacrifice a little bit of of that power or that privilege to help the people who are just hiring in so that we can keep them so that that this doesn't have to keep happening.
6: Yeah. Right? And it's you know, this is one of the things that has made the John Deere strike uh that made it so powerful was these those older workers who I mean, they had a tiered system. Right. So you had workers hired, I think, before like ninety seven got a full pension and then like after 97 was like a third of that. And then workers hired in the last couple of years weren't getting any pension at all. And a big part of the strike is like all of the workers saying that's not acceptable, um, including the ones who had a full pension, who had some of a pension, like saying that like the fact that the newer people are getting screwed over isn't acceptable. And I've heard different reasons for why that happened, because this is this tactic, what you're talking about and kind of like what happened at John Deere it was a common tactic. You know, it's the thing we talk about in colonialism all the time. You want to divide the population against, you know, each, o- each other one way or the other, give them like, make it, make them feel as if their interests are not necessarily aligned, you know? So the oh, people yeah. who, um, and there's reasons I've heard different reasons for why John Deere was different, including the idea that like a lot of these are family jobs. So it was not people, it was people being like, well, my kid's not going to get a pension and that's bullshit. Um, anyway, yeah, I just, it's, it's, It's important to talk about like that as a problem and also to highlight different strikes where that seems to have been overcome by the workers. Like this fact that they were attempted to be played against each other didn't really work out.
1: And where in my case it very much is like uh, another another example being so we'll have people who are are lower on the seniority list. And like, let's say, for example, one weekend we're running lines three and five and not the other two. Mm Well, the the newer people might only know stuff on line four, but if the new people don't get scheduled to do something, even if they're just being forced in to sweep the floor, the people who have the higher seniority will throw a fit saying, well, they're lower seniority. Why aren't they in here? As opposed mm-hmm. to, well, cause they can't run that machine. And then they don't want to train them to run that machine. It's, it's very, they've managed to succeed where the John Deere capitalists might've failed in making this all about like, all right, working. Con- and, and I don't blame the people who have the higher seniority on this, because if my, you know, if, if your working conditions are hell yeah, and you have the option of, okay, well, on a short-term scale, I can screw over this other person and actually see my family once in a while. Most people are going to do it. And yep. especially if that person is somebody who just hired in that you don't know, well, screw that guy. And that's where, once again, if unions were stronger, if they, it was more than what is it right now, like two, three percent of jobs are a union job. But unions have been so like just weakened that this sort of situation is allowed to happen, I guess you could say.
6: Yeah.
2: And I think, yeah, that comes back to this, like the, 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 salute, the solution to the supply chain problem isn't really a sol- like it, it's 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 not it's not a logistical solution it's not even really like a capital gain solution or like a tax solution the solution is that you know you, you have to fundamentally change the balance of power between capital and labor and oh, you know i mean th- and that and that that can be like you know think things will get better if it's if it's more unions but like things are going to continue to suck until like
6: the capitalists cease to exist as a class Yeah. And I think that's like, yeah, that's that's, because, yeah, that's always the, and it's one of those like, we get, we get critiqued on the internets sometimes because I think people will will say like, well, you know, is your only solution to this? You keep talking about like mutual aid and and anarchism and like, I just don't feel like that's a, a big scale solution. It's like, yeah, but the current system isn't going to work very well on a big scale. Part of what we're always talking about is like, how to how to get your how to get yourself and your people through the situation because that's also oh, yeah. important and it's the same thing with like a union right unionizing you and your fellow laborers in your factory or or making your union more effective and more able to like advocate for everyone that's not going to fix the bigger problem that's not going to deal with the the issues that like That's not going to stop climate change. That's not going to stop supply line crunches on a grand scale. It's not going to stop creeping authoritarianism, but it can make life more bearable for you and the people around you. And that's, that's also part of like getting by in a crumbling world.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yep. It's, it it requires a bit of uh, more foresight, which I think was one of the other purposes behind Mm -hmm. working us as many hours as they do is Mm -hmm. when you're so fucking tired all the time from working what you're working you don't have time to stop and think about the larger implications of things
6: Mm -hmm. and yeah and that's part of what they're going for yep yeah so i don't know anyone else got anything
0: well i guess just the clear solution to this is that i need to just stock up on bang right i just need to buy all that i can because like i i I, I love bang i i can't stop (laughs) drinking bang I, <laughs> I, will I, say, are, are I will say, are you scared one, of how uh, much you love bang? I'm, I'm scared of how much bag I drink. I, I will Garrison say one of, is, one of the okay.
1: uh, wonderful mutual aid solutions is if you're very, very nice to the syrup mixing people, they will be kind to you if you are, are working a double and they will give you a shot of the energy drink syrup before it's been mixed. Oh my God! Is, oh, oh is, wow.
0: oh, oh boy! It's you should—you should not have shot. told Garrison that. <laughs> I've developed gonna, a problem.
6: <laughs> Garrison's going to quit his job podcasting just to be able to get two <laughs> shots of energy gonna drink. Just going to be
0: shooting up energy drink here on out. That's all I'm doing with my time. I'm signing. My, uh, I'm leaving. Leaving the call right now. Finding the nearest factory. And my, I hope you're my happy. Se-
1: <laughs> my second day on the on the job in the soda manufacturing thing i had a 24 pack of energy drink uh, explode all over me I didn't have a change of clothes. And that's when I learned that caffeine and taurine can soak through your skin. Oh, yes. Oh, (laughs) yeah.
2: (laughs) No, I mean, basically,
6: I was (laughs) seeing sound. Okay, so I I've just been looking up inflatable hot tubs, and I feel like if I could order enough pure energy drink syrup in an inflatable hot tub, I could build basically the equivalent of Baron Harkonnen's rejuvenation bath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, But with like pure bang syrup. Yeah, Yeah. that
0: is that is that is my plan. Just B12
6: caffeine and taurine
0: it's just gonna be we're all gonna quit our jobs we're just gonna have the same amount of money they get slower over time uh because we're again spending it all on banks obviously
1: you need you need the inside person to supply you with the syrup so we'll just have sort of an oceans 11 situation where you guys pull up to the loading dock and with a tanker and i'm just hooking the truck up
6: you Mm -hmm. know it's gonna be like scarface but we're selling pure syrup and then garrison loses his mind uh, yeah. <laughs> and winds up in a machine gun fight in a mansion. Instead when I, um, instead of burying
1: yeah. his face into a mountain of cocaine, he's instead got just a large just Pyrex bowl full yeah. of syrup. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. He's
6: just sticking his hand into a bowl of syrup to absorb the 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 caffeinated <laughs> nutrients. When I pee Good it's g-
0: when I pee, it's just gonna be straight syrup now. That is yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, well that's the episode. <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where can they, if people want
1: to find you a lot where can they find you so i host uh, along with my husband and our friend justin we host a uh, trans comedy and pop culture podcast where we also interview interesting people um it's called the violet wanderers so you can find us on twitter at violet wanderers or the or email thevioletwanderers at gmail.com and that's uh, basically, that's my Twitter handle. And I just slowly got sucked into the Twitter hellscape where I yeah, figured, that happens. originally went on just like, oh, I'm going to just promote my show. And then I started responding to people. And before you know it, I'm writing 20 tweet rants about just in time on my stupid gay podcast account.
0: I got into Twitter to converse with a Young Justice podcast. And that's why I created my Twitter account. <laughs> and here I am now. So because- hey, I, I was
2: trying to get a Planetside 2 beta key and I, I got it. But. The
6: consequences were oh. I am now here.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, see, Twitter. See, Twitter see. Twitter and its consequences
0: have been a disaster for us. You're
6: you're this you're such a child. I remember the first planet side beta. Oh. Back no. in the day, Chris. <laughs> it was an age undreamed of. Oh, Chris.
1: And uh you all are welcome to come on the show anytime. I will I will bother you to come on my show sometime.
6: And excellent. Yeah, about, good, uh, give it good. plugs. <laughs> plugs probably. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, like I said, uh, the Violet Wanders, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're on Podcast Addict, whatever, you know, right. like all your major podcast platforms. Uh, the tagline of the show is uh, made for no one. So um, expect a lot of queer humor, a lot of me uh, calling my husband a slut and us talking about video games, comic books, movies, and then occasionally just randomly interviewing really interesting people who I harass into coming on the show. Uh, like which, Robert, I know, uh, you know, Daniel Harper from I Don't Speak German. I sure
6: do. He's been yeah. on a few
1: times. Um, we've had him on and and had some fun talking about Nazis, which yeah. seems kind of you know counterintuitive. But uh, there's a lot of humor that can be found in Nazis if you know the right places to look.
6: And, oh, and no. yeah, I you know what? I just watched a German language movie about Hitler. That was made in 2007 by a Jewish German comedian that includes I've watched a lot of Hitler movies, you know, periodically I just get on Netflix and Hulu type in Hitler, just kind of watch whatever's there. This is the first time I have seen Hitler fucking in a movie. I've never (laughs) seen anybody (laughs) who had the courage to do that. And he is Uh, just, yeah, he's, it's, it's uncomfortable. One ball just swinging in the wind. It is. It is an uncomfortable scene, but not the most uncomfortable scene in that particular movie. Um. Stunning it's quite it. a film
1: that's i was gonna say that's pretty amazing but yeah come yeah. on some come on sometime uh we'll play around yeah. round of incelmageddon which is a game that i've created and uh oh. you know all if right. you guys don't want to kill yourselves afterwards then hey you survive the game as long uh, as i can
0: get some syrup out of the deal that's that's all i want i just... will
1: i will i will smuggle you some syrup out and mail it to you okay Great. <laughs> perfect <All right. laughs> well,
6: that's that's gonna do it for all of us here today and it could happen here um until next time i don't know go go read go read the, the Dawn of Everything. It's good. It's worth reading. Check it out.
4: It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening.